Hey there, Desi Crime fans. I'm your host Aryan, and I'm Ishwarya. And welcome back to another episode of the Desi Crime podcast. This podcast is run entirely by two twenty-year-olds, from research to recording to post-production and social media. If you have the means, please contribute to our Patreon. And if you don't, please share our episodes and posts on your social media. Be a loyal Desi crew member. Often we hear "brothers in blood" as a phrase that depicts loyalty. But what happens when that phrase is taken too literally? What happens when not an outsider but an insider turns on his or her own family? This is the story of an immigrant family from the quiet and quaint town of Allen, Texas. This is the story of the brothers in blood, the Tohid brothers. Whereas so often we get requests from our amazing listeners to cover several cases. I mean, our list is full of listener recommendations, right? And what would you say are some of the most common requests we get? Um, the Arushi murder is right up there, and so is the Nirbhaya rape case. I'd say there's quite a few infamous cases that are popular requests from all of our listeners. Precisely, that's the word I was looking for. Infamous. Often we are requested some of the most infamous cases from India and other parts of South Asia, and as tantalizing it is to want to cover those cases, it doesn't always feel right. It doesn't feel justified, because yes, on one hand we could cover those cases and get loads of downloads, but on the other hand, that's not why we love research. The beauty of this medium is that we can dig deep and find stories that need a platform. Today's story is one such example. It isn't short of a crazy thriller, yet not enough people are aware about it. Today's story is quite the roller coaster, so have your popcorn ready, and I'm not even kidding. But here is a surprise for y'all. Not only is today's crazy thriller not so popular; it happened literally this year. But the surprise doesn't lie in its recency, but instead in how we are going to tell this story. This episode is very different from the ones we have done in the past. I think Aran, we said this before. Every episode, because we're so excited about the case, is this one really that different? Take any case from our catalog, Ashwarya. We tend to research for those cases through news articles, court filings, police reports, etc. But today's episode will be narrated from the mouth of the murderer himself, who detailed every single aspect—not only of the murder, but his own psychopathy, his own motivations, his own life story. This is a first-person narrative with commentary from me and you, but I will rather let Mr. Tohid do the talking. Okay, well that is actually different. Who is this murderer, and what is his story? So, Allen is a small city in Texas, USA, with around a population of hundred thousand people. Of these hundred thousand Allentown folks, many, in fact most, are immigrant families, and of these immigrant families, our story revolves around a certain. Tohid family. The Tohids are Bangladeshi immigrants. It's a family of six people: 
Tohidul is the father who first came to America with his wife Irene. Not to be stereotypical, but Tohidul did work in the field of information technology, better known as IT. Now they originally found jobs in good old New York, but after having kids they finally moved to Allen, where we are now. Tohidul and Irene have 3 kids: Tanvir, age 21, and Farhan and Farbeen, both age 19. That's not a riddle, they are after all twins. A reality that came as a surprise to Tohidul and Irene, who themselves are aged 54 and 56 respectively. Now, of course, when these twins were born, this surprise was certainly a pleasant one. But as time passed, in retrospect, I'm sure the Tohid family would have been better off had one of its member never been born. The sixth member is their 77-year-old grandmother, Altafun Nessa, who visits from Bangladesh ever so often. So fast forward to April 4th, 2021, this year, merely few months back from when we are recording this podcast. It's not just any other day in the Tohid family. It's a day of celebration. Farbeen, the twin sister, just got accepted in New York University or NYU as it's better known. And not just that, she had received a full scholarship to attend this prestigious university. The best part about this was that Altafun was able to reunite with her kids and grandkids for this auspicious moment because as fortune had it, her flight which was supposed to leave a week back in March got postponed due to the COVID-19 third wave in South Asia. Owing to that postponement, she was lucky enough to be with her granddaughter to celebrate this achievement on 4th April. But the thing about fate is that it can be a double-edged sword. On the night of April 4th, a close family friend of the Tohids who chooses to be anonymous was doom scrolling through his phone. We all doom scroll, don't we? Just laying in our bed at midnight and going through Twitter, YouTube or Spotify and hoping Daisy Crime has uploaded a new episode. Hell, you might be doom scrolling right now and not focusing on my voice. This close family friend was doing the same on Instagram when at midnight he spotted something erroneous on his feed. something so out of the blue that it stood out at even 12 a.m in the morning this was a post that had just been uploaded by farhan the 19 year old twin brother whatever was in that post was so unnerving that this family friend dialed 911 the police were called after informing the cops of this disturbing instagram post he requested them to conduct a welfare or wellness check on the tohit family aran just to stop you here for our non american listeners which are most of our listeners could you just quickly explain what a welfare check is of course so in us any person can call the cops to conduct what is called a wellness check essentially if you have substantial reason to believe that someone close to you or someone you know is in danger you can ask the police to go to their house and do a check Now this is usually requested for older people who haven't been responding to their calls or messages or haven't been seen in the neighborhood for a while. It is rare that someone uses this for a family of 6. But when the family friend told what Farhan had posted to the cops and when the cops verified that information on their own, there was not a shred of doubt that a welfare check was needed. What did Farhan post? As the cowboys in Texas would say, "Shwara, hold your horses." I will get to that soon enough. By this time it is the wee hours of April 5th, a Monday, and at precisely 1 a.m. the cops knock on the Tohid family's door. As Sergeant John Felty of the Allen Police Department reports, there was no answer. After several attempts, the police sense that something is off, especially in light of Farhan's post, so they knew they had to make a forceful entry. 
As they broke the front door of the house, what those cops saw is something they will never forget. So what was this bewitched Instagram post that was so compelling? Whatever was in that post prompted that Farhan is suicidal. The wellness check requested by the friend was because they feared Farhan, the 19-year-old twin brother, is in danger. The post on Instagram was a 12-page long letter. I don't think it's fair to call it a suicide letter. It is a comprehensive psychoanalysis of oneself. As I read it, I underwent a flurry of emotions. It's so well written yet deep down I know it is in fiction. It's real, it's fact, it's Farhan's life story, a 19-year-old boy who is hell-bent on ending his life. So before we dive into Farhan's mind, let me warn you, it talks about depression in great detail and he talks about gruesome things that even the true crime junkies in you will be freaked out by. Not because it is necessarily gory, but because it's psychologically disturbing. Ashwara, I've printed some of the paragraphs for you as well so that you can read them. The letter begins as follows. Quote, Hey everyone, I killed myself and my family. If I'm going to die, I might as well get some attention. I'm going to cover four very important issues I encountered throughout my life. Who knows, some good might come of it. For those who don't know, I've had depression since 2016, 9th grade. Not the, damn, I failed my test depression everyone says they have. More like a, I only cut myself twice today, that's better than usual. I remember the first time I cut myself. It was on August 22nd, 2017, and I did it with a pair of craft scissors. The blades were pretty dull, so it was more of rubbing the scissors against my arm instead of a clean cut. Eventually, my skin gave. After a couple more lines, the relief started to kick in. It didn't take long to become addicted to the feeling. Unfortunately, scissors made for kids aren't very good at cutting flesh, so I had to move on to knives. It was pretty easy just taking one from the kitchen. They were dull, but they worked much better. Initially, I would cut myself every other week. But the frequency increased drastically as junior year progressed. I moved on to cutting weekly, every other day, daily, and finally, multiple times a day. The need to cut leaked into the times I was at school. I can't count how many calculus quizzes I turned in blank since I was too busy in the bathroom cutting myself. I don't think I know what to say. But this kid was dealing with so much at such a young age. You know what freaks me out the most, Ashwara, is that he was almost as old as us when he wrote this letter. Yeah. Anyway, quote, To make matters worse, my three best friends dropped me. They tried to help me before, but they eventually realized that dealing with a depressed person is a lot of work. I was angry at first, but in retrospect, what were they supposed to do? In comes my first point, getting help. Everyone says you can talk to me and post those useless mental health links on their stories. But when you actually interact with someone who's depressed, you realize how impossible fixing them is. I've never benefited from telling someone about how depressed I was. It always ends with them having to leave me. The only people who really stick around are those obligated to. Just pretend you care and never directly offer to help. It'll only waste both of our times. 
Ishwara, it was this point in his note that I decided I will not paraphrase him or try to analyze. I realized that Farhan was hopeless, but worse, helpless. He w- he felt so terribly dejected that only his words could do him justice. There's so much nuance in the things that he's mm. saying. And even though his situation is unique, I think these feelings of helplessness and hopelessness are common across people that experience depression at some point in their life so i think it's his words only which will truly express what he's trying to say i don't think our words could That's ever do it justice That's precisely what i thought Quote I hit my breaking point sometime in winter that year when i cut myself until i physically couldn't feel anything i couldn't hide being depressed anymore once i told my dad and he worked his ass off trying to help Eventually I was thrown in some teen mental health camp where I was finally diagnosed and got medication which seemed to help. They also gave me coping mechanisms like journaling and what not along with therapy. Things were looking up. Second semester of junior year was a big change. I became fucking cool. By the time summer came around, I lost most of my fat and stopped being the cringy awkward kid I used to be. End of summer rolls around and in comes senior year. the best year of my life i somehow managed to get a girlfriend who was far out of my league became a programming god and made a solid new friend group things got even better when i got into computer science at university of texas austin which is supposed to be a big deal i never really cared about school but it felt good having something others cared about okay things seem better now it seems like things are going well finally Ishwara, if only you had waited to hear the next sentence. My life was starting to sound perfect, right? Farhan said. Unfortunately, the answer is yes. My life was perfect. That was the issue. You know what? Lesson learned. I am not jumping the bullet from now. <laughs> My life was perfect, but that didn't change the fact that I was depressed. I would still have the urges to cut myself or end up crying myself to sleep. I tried doubling my medication which worked but only temporarily. Every solution was always temporary. Fast forward to college, I moved in with the three of my best friends. Going to college was going to be a fresh start where I could start putting in effort, get good grades and hopefully become normal. I couldn't do it. I swear I tried but I just couldn't. For the life of me I just can't comprehend how you people do it. You people are okay with spending hours upon hours listening to lectures, doing homework and studying for at least 4 years so you can get a job and make some money. You plan on working at that job for a third of your life, sleep for the other third and do god knows what for the last. How are you satisfied with that? Don't you ever get bored or upset with the menial stuff? Doesn't it feel like you're wasting your time? It's not fair. I did everything right every little fucking thing right and i'm still just apathetic everyone's allowed to worry about their future and i can't even think about what i'm going to do tomorrow without enduring an existential crisis it's not fair how everyone can be so content while i can't even fathom being happy no matter what i do i just can't be happy It bugged the hell out of me. I started doing poorly in my classes and at the end of the semester I had my first breakdown in months. I only cried, laughed and talked to myself while punching a wall for hours. Compared to the other times I broke, this one wasn't so bad. 
at this point in time my two sweet mates knew i was extremely depressed i mean it would have been kind of weird if they didn't ashwar this dark sense of humor that he has which is a concurrent theme throughout right. this normalizes him it, you know it humanizes him he's a right. he's just a kid he's, he's a 19 year old kid he's just a college going kid like so many other people around us yeah my roommate on the other hand gave me the impression that i was a joke Apparently he thought he also had depression and the only reason I needed medication while he didn't was because he had willpower. I guess in a way he was right. My second point starts with a question, mainly directed to anyone who thinks they are depressed. Why? You had a bad breakup in 10th grade? You flunked your physics exam? I swear at this point you could claim you're depressed if you shed a tear after watching a try not to cry compilation. I remember senior year when I arrived at school after a little cutting session and one of my friends said quote I am going to kill myself unquote because they had a physics test that day the best part is they knew I had depression the real kind before people start claiming I'm gatekeeping being sad that's not the case at all of course it makes sense for people to be bummed out after forgetting about a quiz or not acing the interview my problem is that while many people feel sadness It just isn't depression. Depression is when you feel that same sadness to the point where it interrupts your sleep or prevents you from doing your hobbies for over 2 weeks. It's a real illness and if calling someone silly billy as a joke is considered wrong then treating depression the same way should be too. Also I don't get why mental illnesses are treated so differently from physical ailments. No one expects someone without legs to walk. So it shouldn't be so much of a surprise that someone depressed has a hard time being normal. This is kind of why I have such a big problem with using the word depressed colloquially to refer to being sad. I think firstly it puts yourself in a victim mindset. and dehumanizes the individual around you who actually might be going through a problem and i feel this way about using names of absolutely any mental illness just casually saying you have ocd just because you have one tick related to something in your life yeah this falls within the bracket of a concept creep that you have a legitimate concept but then you put that concept to things just to make their gravity more potent right farhan continues quote I think this stems from the idea of a consciousness separate from the physical structure of the brain. But if someone took out a fundamental part of your brain, you might become a completely different person. Off the top of my head, an example would be cases of people with epilepsy who once they've had their amygdalas removed were reprieved from their seizures but acted much more reckless as they seemed to no longer have a natural fear response. I'm sure there are plenty more examples. Neurons are just the biological equivalent of transistors and computers. ATCG instead of zeros and ones. That's the DNA, but you get the point. Consciousness is nothing but a byproduct of evolutionary luck. Ashwara, this is what I mean when I say this is so brilliantly written. If only it were fiction. Clearly Farhan is a smart kid. He most certainly is. Winter break came along and I tried to get reinvested in school by programming. I made a 3D graphics engine with my brother which was pretty fun. By the way, listeners, a small side note here. His 3D graphics engine is still up and online. So if you want to check it out, the link is github.com/farto and it is also in the episode's footnotes. I was ready to give school another shot. I never really had a choice, did I? It didn't work. I just couldn't care. 
I tried my best to keep it together, but my closest sweetmate noticed I was extremely off. He offered to talk to me, and I made the mistake of accepting. I told him everything. He knew most of my ideals already, but there was one new thought that I shared with him that haunted him. Don't worry, I'll reveal it in a bit. All you need to know is that a few weeks after our talk, I was kicked out of the dorm. I can't really blame them, but I do wish they would have at least made the decision with me. A short week after getting evicted, I dropped out of college. I needed to get the will to live before I could get motivation for some piece of paper. I spent the first few weeks of being a dropout by just watching shows with my older brother. If you think my situation was fucked, his was much worse. That dude is a fucking genius but is too depressed and socially anxious to do anything with it. Ashwara here he is talking about his 21 year old brother Tanvir. He is the one who has also been depressed. So this is another key facet in this case and we'll find out as the letter progresses that Tanvir too was depressed as a child. Aryan do we know anything about their family life their situation I find it a little odd that two children in the same family are this badly depressed and socially anxious something has to be going wrong at home right That's a fantastic observation but we do later find out that neighbors and other community members in North D- Dallas where Alan is report that they were one of the most thriving families Now see of course that doesn't encompass them entirely but from what we know we know that they were some of the happiest people and some of the most outgoing and social people in that community in Allen right so continuing if you think my situation was fucked his was much worse he had to go through the same shit i did except by himself i would have killed myself a long time ago if he weren't there the first and most important show we watched was the office This leads me to my third major point. The office should have ended when Michael left. Ashura, have you seen The Office? I think I'll be disowned for saying this, but I haven't. Uh, all right. Well, while I thankfully don't agree with Farhan's analysis of life, he hit the nail on its head with that remark about The Office. The show should have ended when Michael left. For those of you heathens like Ashwarya who haven't seen the show, it's like if Ross left Friends in the fifth season and they continued the show. It was really heartbreaking as a fan, and I, I honestly haven't watched any episode after Michael left. Okay, but how is a sitcom, if I may ask, related to these deeper and disturbing things that he's talking about in his letter? You know, I'm happy you asked me this at this juncture in the story. The next few paragraphs in his letter are essentially an analogy between the show Office and life and that basically even a good show as The Office and a show as happy as The Office has a miserable ending and so how can real life possibly be good I have omitted those paragraphs because they get quite nerdy and if you haven't watched the show it can get boring However, if you're interested, we uploaded this entire letter on our Instagram and if you're a patron, you have access to a transcribed version of the letter on Patreon which we did ourselves. Ashwarya, can you please read the next paragraph? Quote, we kept watching the office until February 21st, 2021. That's the day my older brother came into my room with the proposition. If we can't fix everything in a year, we'll kill ourselves and our family jeez yeah Ooh. imagine 
talking about the office for five minutes, and then all of a sudden, you know what? Let's kill ourselves and our family. And here begins the psychopathy. Farhan elaborates. Allow me to explain. Anyone who knew me knew that I operate on pure logic. Every decision I make is based on a pros and cons list, including the one to kill my family. Let's start with the meaning of life. Everyone thinks the meaning of life is this deep, unsolvable mystery. But the conclusion I came to is really simple. The only reason for existence is happiness. In fact, every decision you make is solely because it contributes to your overall happiness. I know many of you will disagree with me, but hopefully I can convince you with a few examples. Some of you religious people might say you only live to please God, but the act of worship is yet another decision that makes you content. Even some quote-unquote selfless things like going to your annoying friend's birthday party is something to make you happy because all your other friends knowing you skipped would make you feel worse. Going to work, taking drugs, even taking out the trash are decisions we make for happiness and happiness only. Well, if the reason to live is happiness then logically, you shouldn't live if you aren't happy. That makes sense, right? Imagine waking up, being waterboarded for an hour, electrocuted for 20 minutes, forced to watch the first half of season 9 of The Office, and finally put to sleep. Now imagine repeating that cycle daily until you died. In this scenario, I'm sure that every single one of you would prefer death, whether you want to admit it or not. Although I'm not in quite as bad a situation, it's bad enough to warrant suicide. I live in so much pain and turmoil that it isn't worth living anymore. I'm aware that my death will bring sadness to everyone else. But I guess I'm just too selfish to care. Well, not selfish enough, however. There's my family. The one reason I forced myself to live for 19 years. I know I said I operate on logic, but the one emotional aspect of my life is the only reason I'm still here. I love my family. I genuinely do. And that's exactly why I decided to kill them. Oh my goodness. He decided to kill his family, Ashwara, because he loves them. And I think therein comes the psychopathy. This isn't depression. This is psychopathy, in my, in my opinion at least. I don't know, Aran. He sounds like an unwell child to me. He really sounds like someone who just needs help. And he's spoken about how he has tried to get help in the past, but it's clearly not the right kind of help. Maybe not the right person, maybe not the right time, maybe not the right amount. But what I if, Ashwara, it's not fixable? I, I know it's... Okay, what if physical ailments, the analogy with mental health with physical ailments, some physical ailments can't be cured. It, it, just, it just sucks to think, what if he couldn't actually be cured? I don't know. Right? He thinks he cannot be cured and that's why he's he's attempting to make this end-all be-all decision. If I kill just myself, they would be miserable. They would spend the rest of their lives feeling guilt, despair and a multitude of other adjectives that mean sad. Even after they got over it, it would have become a permanent facet of their lives. Instead of having to deal with the aftermath of suicide, I could just do them a favour and take them with me. None of us would ever have to feel sad ever again. So what Farhan is describing is a familicide. It is basically a type of murder or murder-suicide in which a perpetrator kills multiple close family members in quick succession, most often children, relatives, spouse, siblings or parents. In half the cases, 
the killer lastly kills themselves in a murder suicide but are there something i don't fully get if they decided to wait for a year on feb 21st how can something have happened just a month and a half later on april 5th because you see ashwarya the brothers weren't patient You remember how Farhan described self-harm in psychopathology self-harm operates similar to drugs. Now imagine a heroin addict who has been presented with the ultimate pure heroin but you're telling them to wait for a year before they try it. That's just not how addiction works. Farhan and Tanveer have seduced themselves into believing that death is the ultimate remedy to their plight, the ultimate heroin. Farhan continues, "My brother and I tried for a little bit." There were small improvements like me doubling my medication for ADHD but we eventually realized we were just biding our time waiting a year was way too long why not wait a month the plan was simple we get two guns i take one and shoot my sister and grandma while my brother kills our parents with the other then we take ourselves out i would say the only hard part of the plan was getting the guns but that would be a lie My fourth and final point, gun control in the US is a joke. All my brother had to do was go to the gun shop, say something about wanting a gun for home defense, sign some forms, and that was it. There was a question asking if he had had any mental illnesses, but get this, he lied. He literally just said no. They didn't ask for proof or if he was taking any medication, which he was. Just a yes or no question. Literally anyone can get a gun if they haven't been officially diagnosed. Thanks for making the process so easy. And now we're here. Well, I guess my family and I aren't, but you get the point. Unquote. As Allen police used crime tape to block off this house on the 1500 block of Pine Bluff. How could it happen? A large group gathers watching the investigation unfold. They were um, very close to us. Kamrul Hassan and other members of the Bangladesh Association of North Texas say the six people found inside the house were good friends and active in the community. When I heard the news, um, I just couldn't breathe for for 20-30 minutes. And indeed his family and he aren't here anymore. because when the cops walked into that tohid house on pine drive in allen texas they didn't find a suicidal farhan or a suicidal tanveer they found two kids dead along with the rest of their family with several gunshot wounds the brothers in blood were quite literally in blood with several gunshots fired the tohid family wasn't alive anymore 